0: Will be mentioned in prayer, but Psalm seventy-eight is where we're going to look with the help of the Lord tonight for just a few verses. We're continuing on with this thought about David and the life of David. Man, you you could stay in here for months, if not a year, uh, just on the simple life of David. And it wasn't just a simple life that I say that, but he, it was a complex life that David had. And we broke that down. I don't know a couple weeks ago about some things about David, and you look at his adolescent years and in his adult years. And then what we would label his ancient years. But when we've looked up to this point, a couple points already, think about his adolescent years early on, and we see that he was watching in the beginning as a shepherd, and God, we looked at those messages, he's in the habit of calling busy people, those that are active. And we certainly see Gideon and many others in the Scripture that was busy, that God called, and David was watching as a shepherd. And then we've seen him warring as a soldier as he faced Goliath. The Bible lets us know that Saul basically stood uh, shoulders above everybody else in Israel, yet everybody was afraid of Goliath. But there's a little shepherd boy that was not afraid. He had the hand of God on his life, the touch of God on his life. And he went down and he slayed the giants. And there's a great application of that. Even the secular world recognizes the account of, of David and Goliath. A lot of folks will look at the underdog. But you just think about this, and I, I think about David, how God used him. There's going to be giants that all of us going to face. It might not be spelled out Goliath, but there's going to be some giants in our life that we'll have to slay. But you better remember this. Uh, he never slayed it until he slung it. He had to sling that slingshot. Once he slung it, and that may not be good grammar, good English, but understand, he slayed the giant that was reformed. There's some things, I guess you could put it this way, there's some things we got to let go. Amen. Some things you just got to let go. And uh, once you do, then the giant's, can fall, but tonight we're looking at this third point on his adolescent years. We've looked at his watching, we've looked at his warring, but now we're going to sort of look a little bit about his waiting. And this last part of the adolescent years will sort of uh, carry over into his adult years. Or and uh, but nonetheless, he spent a vast time waiting on the sovereign Lord for His plan to unfold. And the Bible tells us this in Psalm seventy-eight. Notice in the last several verses, in verse number 70, Psalm 78, and verse number 70, the Bible said he, and that he is, is a personal pronoun that is referring to God. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfold. So you can say, man, he, yeah, he was watching on the hillside, and God took him and chose him. Verse 71. From following the youths, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them. Now who's them? That's a reference back to Jacob. And that reference to Jacob is none other than the nation of Israel. And the Bible said in verse 72, So he, David, fed them, Jacob or Israel, according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of of His hands. Now let's pray. Father, as we bow God again tonight we sure do love You. Thank You for the opportunity just to pray. I thank You for the good Word of God. Thank You for the good singing. Lord, I pray that it's prepared our hearts for the preaching of Your Word. I pray that Your Word would fall on good fertile soil. I pray that there's one listening tonight lost never been saved. God may tonight be the night of salvation, but I pray for the child of God just needs some help this evening. Lord, I pray that You'd do it. Help this feeble preacher now to decrease, that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. Have all the preeminence now. We'll give You thanks and praise, for we ask it. So oh, in Jesus' name, and all God's people see it. Amen. Well, we read this text here, three uh, tremendous verses here out of Psalm 78, which is an account of David's life, and we understand that. several principles we could bring out about God choosing David from the sheepfolds. Again, he was busy on the hillside tending sheep. He was following uh, those little ewes with the young, and he brought him, David, to feed Jacob or Israel's people and Israel his inheritance. And we notice verse 72 is really where I want to hone in when we think about his actions adolescent years certainly he was watching as a shepherd certainly he was warring as a soldier facing Goliath but we also know that he was waiting from the time that he was anointed in the house of Jesse his father in first Samuel chapter number 16 almost 15 years takes place from the time that first anointing until he became king of Israel So we could say during those adolescent years, man, he learned some things about patience. He learned about waiting on the Lord. Again, 15 years at least. And here's our problem sometimes, when it seems, and I say the word seems because God is never inactive. Can I get a witness? God is never inactive. But let's be honest, there's times in our lives when it feels like that God seems to be inactive. And when it seems that God is inactive, although he's not, we become impatient. <laughs> because we want it immediately. I guarantee if you ask Tony Billings, when he went down there, he don't want to wait any longer to get that shoulder worked on. Have you ever pulled up to a restaurant somewhere, and, and you go in and you wait, and, and, and maybe there's a line, and they say, who, who wants to go first or who wants to go second? You're not going to jump to the back of the line. I'm not. Most of us wouldn't. Why? Because we want it now. Waiting is is sometimes not one of our greatest traits or attributes or characteristics, but understand there's times when you and I have to wait on the Lord. Now waiting on the Lord is not always an easy thing. It's not always a pleasant thing. But David, during these adolescent years, up from about 17 years on up till about 32 when he became king, we see that he had to wait on the sovereign Lord and His plan to unfold. Now again, God's never enacted, but sometimes we feel like He is. Sometimes we have to learn to wait for the Lord to work in His time. We don't need to run ahead, and we certainly don't need to lag behind. We need to certainly be right in the will of God. I think about Isaiah 40, verse number 31. It said, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But notice the word wait. We must wait upon the Lord. You need strength to regain. Well, sometimes we have to wait on Him. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faith there's another account in the word of God many of them by the way but you think about Joseph as he was sold by his brothers into slavery it took 14 some years from the time he was sold to those Midianite merchant men uh, heading down toward Egypt until he became second in command to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt now God used that time to try him and to test him and also to train him but it wasn't easy no doubt about it Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament there, no, no time did I see any guile come out of his mouth whatsoever he waited on the perfect will of God for his life to unfold and there were some problems along the way there were some snares there were some struggles there were some obstacles but there was also honey some opportunities for him to serve the Lord but about 14 years he had to wait Until he became second in command. The Bible said this in reference to Joseph, Psalm 105, verse number 19. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Who's that him? That's none other than Joseph. That context of Psalm 105 is talking about Joseph. Fourteen years for him. Fifteen years or so for David. They both had to learn to wait on the Lord. But notice our text tonight. There's a couple words, a couple phrases, words and phrases that stick out to me. Look at verse 72. So he, and that he is David, so he fed them, again that's Jacob and Israel, according to the integrity of his heart. That word integrity really spoke to my heart as I was looking at this. And I was going to preach another message, and it still may be coming on on waiting, but the Lord just sort of seemed into this in my heart. It might have just been some personal needs in my own life. But I think about integrity. That's the important subject we're going to talk a little bit about. But notice the last part of verse 72. And guided them by the skillfulness of His hands. So according to the Word of God, He fed Israel by the integrity of His heart. But then we see, not only he didn't feed them, but he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Integrity and the skillfulness of his hands. All this time while he was waiting, God used him greatly. You think about that word integrity. And integrity is something that's needed. Even It's been needed in every generation. But it's absolutely needed today. When it comes to integrity... You say, what is integrity? And if you look up in, a, in the Webster or something, it's going to give you an English definition. But if you go back into the original Hebrew, that word integrity literally means to be complete. It means to be full to the point of running over. And it also means moral uprightness. So here is a man, David, that, was, that had integrity. Now, some of might say, well, wait a minute, preacher, wait, wait, wait. Now, David made a mistake, and yes, he did. We know that God chose David because the scripture said he was a man after God's own heart. But there's only been one perfect man, and that was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody else has been sinners. But during his adolescent years, it seems to me that David had, I mean, he was focused. On the Lord. When he got into the kingdom, that's when the sin of Bathsheba came. That's when the sword came into his house that never departed as long as he lived because he had blood on his hands. God wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do. God, David aspired to build the temple. God wouldn't let him do it, but David certainly financed it for his son Solomon with the spoils of war to build that extravagant temple, but when you think about this, you think about integrity, it's something that's definitely needed more uprightness. Somebody has quoted this and I want you to get it. Somebody said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. That's a good thing. That's a good comment. That's a good statement. That's a good quote. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is watching. You might say, well, boy, I better do the right thing. You know, somebody's got my eyes on But listen, if you're by yourself, you still better do the right thing. Because listen, the Lord's eyes are always over us. doesn't matter where we go. You go as high as you think, as low. or You can go in the darkest place. You can go in a cave where there's absolutely no light that God can see and understand integrity is doing right even when no one is watching. Somebody else said this. Integrity gives you real freedom because you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to hide. Integrity, integrity. Not to steal, not to cheat, not to lie, to have moral uprightness. to do understand we're not saved by our moral uprightness. Our moral, uh, all of our moral uprightness is as filthy rags. I can promise you that. But listen, thank God we can be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to salvation, that's what it takes. Our good works, our good deeds, our good efforts will never get one person into heaven. It never has. It never will. It still takes the blood, the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our sins. That's what it takes to go to heaven. But once we're saved, there's some moral uprightness that is needed. Because yes, eyes are watching us. And David, he had this integrity in his heart. Listen to what God told David's son Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter number 9 and verse number 4. Now, this is the Lord speaking unto Solomon. David has died. 1 Kings 4. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart, complete, full to the point of overflowing of moral uprightness. God said, Solomon, if you'll do like your daddy did, what did God say he'd do? He said, to do according to all that I've commanded and will keep my statutes and my judgments. Basically, God said, I'm going to bless you. If you'll have that same integrity, that completeness, that maturity, that full to the point of overflowing, that moral uprightness inside of you. Now, in the book of Psalm, there are several instances, and I'm going to give you all of them. And every one of these words, integrity, in the book of Psalm, it has the same meaning. You go back to the original there in the Hebrew. It means completeness, full to the point of overflowing. It means moral uprightness. I think about Psalm 7 and verse number 8. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Now, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Just chew on that just a minute. Lord, I want you to judge me, not according to my neighbor's righteousness, but according to my righteousness. Now, if you want some humble pie, pray like that. Psalmist said, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. I believe the psalmist understands that that integrity is what probes him for that to, to be complete to be full to the point of overflowing, to to have that moral uprightness because he understands that the Lord is going to judge him. So I do believe right here in that text in Psalm 7 and verse number 8, that integrity probes him. But not only that, I believe it also preserves. Integrity will preserve us. For in Psalm 25, I'm still on introduction by the way. Psalm 25 verse 21 said this, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on Thee, so you got integrity, that completeness, that full to the point of overflowing. Stay with me now, full to the point of overflowing, and moral uprightness. It'll probe us because one day God God judges you; He will judge us. He will, but it preserves us, according to Psalm twenty-five, verse one. But integrity will also pace us when it comes to our walk two times in Psalm 26 The word walk and integrity is used together Psalm 26 verse 1 Judge me O Lord For I have walked Past tense In mine integrity I have trusted also in the Lord Therefore I shall not slide he understood, the psalmist did, that that integrity helped pace him. That completeness, that fool to the point of overflowing, that moral uprightness probed him. It preserved him. It paced him. But then in Psalm 26 and verse 11, But as for me, I will, future tense, walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. The psalmist, Psalm 26, two times, he used that word walk. He talked about integrity. In the past, I I have, and and now he said, I will. And that integrity will pace you in the Christian life. Listen, our testimony really is only as good as our character. Our testimony is really only as good as our integrity. What can somebody trust you with? I can tell you this, you can make one mistake. You, You can live a clean life. I'm talking about a clean life. For 10 years... You make one mistake, they'll forget about all the ten years you've done that one time. You slip up and you make a mistake. That's why that moral uprightness, that completeness, that full to the point of overflow, that integrity is something that's desperately needed today because if we're going to do anything for God, if we're going to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, we better stay clean, we better stay clear, or we lose all credibility. We see integrity probes us. it'll preserve us, it'll pace us, But it'll also prop us up. You say, what do you mean prop us up? Well, Psalm 41 and verse 12. And as for me, thou, and the psalmist is, is speaking directly unto the Lord. He said, and as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and settest me before thy face forever. Now there he said, thou, the Lord, upholdest me in Mine integrity, that integrity, that completeness, full to the point of overflowing, that moral uprightness will prop us up. So when you think about this integrity, that's what he fed the nation of Israel with. Now, keep in mind, he was anointed in Jesse's house, Brother Howard, in 1 Samuel 16. And for almost 15 years, he had to wait to become the king of Israel. But while he's waiting on the sovereign Lord's plan and will to unfold, he remained faithful with the integrity of his heart. But I think about this what probed David, what preserved David and paced David and propped David up was integrity in his heart. And that's what he used to feed Jacob and Israel. But what about the skillfulness of his hands? Our Bible said there in Psalm 78, those two things, verse 72 So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart. Now he kept that integrity while he's waiting, he didn't rush ahead. He didn't lag behind, but he waited on the Lord patiently. Numerous times, Brother Wayne, he had the opportunity to slay the anointed one, Saul. But he said, no, nah, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. He left that up to God. And boy, you and I, would be a, we'd be a lot better off if we left a lot of other things up to God. You know what? All the things we try to handle on our own, I've give you the example numerous times. When, when I first started pastoring, I still don't know nothing, but I really didn't know nothing then. And I thought, man, you, you just you just gotta. You, any problem comes along, you gotta rash it like like jumping on one of them steers and and it to the ground. Man, I I'm gonna jump, get this thing took care of. What I've learned is a lot of times you just leave things alone, let God take care of it, and He sure will. Hey, Amen. Sometimes, sometimes you have to do things. I get that. But there's sometimes you gotta wait. Sometimes we'll make a mistake. But listen, the Lord never makes a mistake. And it pays to wait on him. So here's David. He's waiting. He's not rushing ahead. He's not lagging behind. And he takes this integrity, this completeness, full to the point of overflowing, moral uprightness that he has. That's what he feeds Israel and Jacob with. But what about the skillfulness of his hands? A lot of this took place, and this will transfer into his adult years. From his adolescent years, he's waiting. But while he's waiting, he's not just twiddling those thumbs doing nothing. He's waiting on the Lord, serving the Lord. He's in his place when he's supposed to be. There's three things that he did with the skillfulness of his hands. Now, I want you to go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16 just morning. I want you to look at something. There's three things that he did when it comes to the skillfulness of his hands, and they all start with S. He used some strings, he used a sword, and then jumping into his adult years, he used a scepter, being that of the king. But the strings, what I'm talking about, the strings is that harp that he played. But there's two verses that really, really separate David and Saul. Again, David is a man after God's own heart. Saul is man's choice. But there's, there's two verses that really sums up the difference in David and in Saul. And I'm going to read them right now in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and verse 13. The Bible, now this is in Jesse's house. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brethren. Watch this now. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went. To Ramah. I contend to you tonight, that is the greatest fundamental difference between a successful life of David and the unsuccessful life of Saul was because the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Hey, let me tell you, as a New Testament church, thank God, we have got the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We've got the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God according to Ephesians. Chapter number 5, verse 18, it wasn't a suggestion. God said be filled with the Spirit, and we need to do that. And thank God, once we're living under the influence or under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, we can do things that we could never do in and of ourself and of our own power. And that Spirit of the Lord was upon David. But we'll look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You see the vast difference? From verse 13 and 14, that's the difference of a successful life of David and an unsuccessful life of of Saul can I tell you as a young person as a middle-aged folk as a senior adult This is the number one goal and the number one thing you've got to make sure of. You need to make make sure you know Christ saved. If you don't, you're on your way to a place called hell. But all that can be avoided. That's not a popular message. And I don't want to see anybody die in their sin because Jesus didn't pay just part of sin debt. He paid it all so we could go to a place called heaven. Not just a figure of our imagination. Not just something we dream about. Thank God it's a reality. Just as sure as I'm standing on a platform at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. There's a literal heaven. Thank God the walls are just uh, we understand that, uh, that the street is transparent gold the gate of pearl but the Lamb of God is going to be the center of a redeemed universe one day and in Revelation chapter number 4 they're praising Him uh, and they're, chapter number 5 they're praising Him as Redeemer chapter 4 they're worshiping Him as Creator and I'm going to be in that number one day not because I'm a good boy not because I'm a preacher not because I'm a man I'm going to go to heaven one day because I understood I was a sinner and Jesus died for me and I received it by faith. That's the greatest need for every man, woman, boy, and girl. But after we get saved, God wants to use every one of us. Now, somebody's probably saying, "Well, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not able." Well, you're right. But now I remind you, Philippians four thirteen said, "I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me." And you can. We can be endued with power from above, and God wants to use us. And God used David with the skillfulness of his hand. It's amazing when I look out over our congregation Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday, I look at the pieces that God puts in the local church. If you go to any local church and you can see that. Folks that come in, that, that they've got maybe different temperaments, maybe different qualities and different things, but God puts them in that local assembly for a specific task. Now, one can't do everything, but God had not called us to do everything, but he's called us all to do something. To do something with the skillfulness of our hands and to find that niche and to find that calling, I guess, if you will. David, three things that he used with the skillfulness. He guided Israel with the skillfulness of his hands. Now, let's read on in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 14. We see in his adolescent years he used strings. Now, what he play them with? He, he played them with his, with his hands, the skillfulness of of its hands. The Bible said in verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Notice it wasn't an evil spirit from the devil, it was an evil spirit from the Lord. Why is that? Because of this partial obedience, which is the same as rebellion. You go back to chapter 15, he said, Witchcraft is the same, or rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Saul was out of the will of God, and the Lord sent an evil spirit. I believe there's a lot of folks give way too much credit to the devil. Yeah. Oh, the devil's just been on me. The devil just been. The Lord might have been on you, <laughs> wanting you to get right with God. I mean, that's just a fact. You see that throughout the Scripture, numerous times. But here, this evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. But look at verse 15. And Saul's servant said unto him, "Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee." Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand. And thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. That is cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Now this is not by accident right after the anointing of David that David is found out and he's summoned to the palace. That's what we call the providential hand of God. Now, that's a big word, and I don't really have time to get into all that, but just to understand, God is working all these things out according to his purpose. David is anointed in his house of his father Jesse, but he's waiting. But while he's waiting, he's still keeping the sheep. Now he's summoned to come and to play with his hands because he's skillful according to the word of God. Now, notice this read on in verse number 19, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me, David, thy son, which is with the sheep. He's still with the sheep, man. He's been anointed, but he ain't up there on a, on a pride thing. I mean, he's been anointed by Samuel the prophet. I mean, I don't know if he thought they was going to throw him a parade or go ahead and put a robe on, but he, wouldn't, he didn't do that. He went right back out into the same old field where he was serving before, where he was watching as a shepherd. Where he was war and as a soldier, that lion and that bear came against the sheep. He went back to tending the flock. Now, notice there in verse number 20. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly. He became his armor bearer. What a great, I mean, think about how God has advancing David. He went from the sheepfold out on the hillside, Brother Randy, tending sheep. Now he, he he's come into the palace, he's playing the harp, and, and Saul falls in love with him and puts him as his armor bearer to carry his armor into Battle in verse 22. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took in harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. This whole time, this whole time, Brother Kevin, you know what David's doing? He's working with the skillfulness of his hands, but he's waiting. He's waiting. This is his adolescent years. He's waiting for the plan of God to unfold. God's already said, hey, you're going to, Samuel anointed him. He knows he's going to be king over Israel, but he's got to wait about 15 years. But he ain't sitting idly by. He's using the skill that God had given him. He's using the talent and the gifts that God has given him for this particular task. So he used his hands with the strings in the harp. But not only that, he used it with a sword. Now we, you can read chapter 17, we already looked at that, where he used that sword to, to kill Goliath. But I want you to go to chapter 18. He uses it again. He uses his sword and some of his men. Because Saul had elevated him at this point over some uh, several men there in his army. And David is wanting, or, or, or basically David thinks he's going to get this certain daughter of Saul, but anyhow, she ends up being given away to somebody else. And in verse number 25 of 1 Samuel 18, at this point Saul has become jealous of David. When they come into the streets, they're singing, Well, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So here, this envy. Sets in on Saul, and Saul wants to get rid of him. He's already basically tricked him out of his first daughter, but now he says, you know what? Michael really loves David, and we'll put that thing together. But Saul connived, hoping that David would be killed. But listen to what happened, and notice the skillfulness of David's hand. First Samuel 18, and verse 25. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but in 104 skins of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines was the enemies of God. And most times during this time, tradition, when somebody wanted to marry the daughter, they come and they come with this great gift and a great dowry so that they could take the bride. But Saul said, I don't want a dowry, I don't want anything like that. I want 104 skins of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. Now, in order to do that, these enemies of Israel had to be killed. So he tells David, hey, you want to marry my daughter, basically, to be avenged to the king's enemies? But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Saul thought, you know, I'm tired of this little fella that comes in, man. The God, the Spirit of the Lord's on him, and the Lord's troubling Saul because of his rebellion and because of his sin, and now bitterness sets in, and it's just like a snowball rolling downhill, and it's turning into rage and into malice, and now he wants to kill David, and David is completely loyal unto Saul. But in verse 26, when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, And the days were not expired. So Saul said, David, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the Philistines, and I want you to kill a hundred men. I want their force. I don't want payment for my... But if you'll do that, get a hundred, then I'll give you my daughter. You'll become my son-in-law. Look at verse 27. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew the Philistines. How many? Two (laughs) hundred. Twice as much as he asked for. Two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins. They gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. Now, he didn't go out there and shake her hands to get a 200 foreskins. He had a sword in his hand. He was skillful. And in so doing, he was basically combating the enemies of God. That's what the Philistines were. So David was cunning, and he, the skillfulness of his hands, you can see it clearly, With the strings on the harp. When that evil spirit from the Lord troubled Saul, he would play on that harp because he was skillful. Then he went down Goliath and numerous times during his adolescent years, he uses a sword because he's skillful with it. But then finally we see the scepter. Then when he comes to the scepter, that jumps over into his adult years really. But when it comes to the scepter, that's what he would hold out, he would hold as a king. Everybody would acknowledge when he's got that scepter, in his hand, most time it'd be look like a stick, almost, uh, almost like an ice cream cone to a certain degree, and that thing probably be made out of gold, and on that end would be a top, and, and he would hold that thing up. Well, that when he came and became king, he was skillful, the greatest king Israel. I mean, before before it was divided, the greatest kingdom, a king that uh, they ever had. First Kings chapter two and verse eleven said this: In the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 33 and years reigned he in Jerusalem. See, even when he was anointed up there in Hebron, not the, the whole camp wouldn't follow him, but eventually they did. And there's another. So really, from the first anointing till the time he really got to Jerusalem, about 22 years. 22 years! He's waiting to be what God has called him to be. But he didn't pout about it. He went on and he served the Lord with the skillfulness of his hands. Whether it was with the strings and playing with the heart. Whether it was with a sword. With the ability that God gave him. He did it to the best of his ability. And then we see the scepter. I think about Acts 13. You know the Apostle Paul when he was over in Antioch in Pisidia. He preached a message. And this is what he likened this unto Acts 13, he made reference to David. Acts 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, and was laid unto his fathers and saw no corruption. In that very next verse, Acts 13, verse 37, he talked about the one that didn't see any corruption, the one that rose from the dead. He made a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in that phrase, in Acts 13, 36, he talks about David after he had served his own generation by the will of God. But he had to wait. He had to wait. The life of David. Sister Savannah's coming. Tonight, David learned some things about waiting on the sovereign Lord, waiting for his plan to be or to unfold. And one thing we do, two things we don't need to do we don't need to get restless while we're waiting on the will of God, and we don't need to be rebellious and do our own thing. We have to wait on the Lord. I think about Jonah. Jonah ran away from God and he went down. And man, he went down not only geographically, but he went down spiritually. But David, here's a man that was, the Bible said the integrity of his heart, that's what he fed the people with. And boy, we need, we need integrity of heart. That's what David had. He was complete. He was full to the point of overflow and moral uprightness. That's what he fed Israel with. And that's why God used him in such a mighty way. Why in the world does it say that, God, uh, that David had a, a heart after God? Because of that integrity of his heart, but the skillfulness of his hands. You know, I don't, I don't. And some folks, I do. I don't know everybody's what everybody's gifted in. I to the, some I do, but some I don't. But God's called every one of us. All of us are unique, and all of us are a little bit different. Again, we we got different temperaments. We got different fuses. We got different patience levels, and, and all that. We got different likes and, and dislikes, and so on and so forth. But God meshes folks together. So there's no missing link. And it's been amazing to see what God has done. I've seen Him do it at Mount Sinai. I've seen Him do it here at Faith with folks, that the, the original folks, and then folks that have come in. It's amazing to see what God... But just folks just grabbing a hold of something. It may seem like a little small and significant thing. But listen, using the skillfulness of your hands for the will of God. Now some of you may not be doing what you really want to be doing right now, but just hang on. It may be... A month, it might be six months, it might be a year, it might be 15 years. The Bible said in Psalm 105, Joseph for 14 years, the Lord tried him, tested him, and was training him. But there's one fact I know. Your greatest need is to be saved. If you're not saved, God wants you saved. But once you're saved, it's not a question of, does God want to use you? It's it's absolutely He wants to use you. He may use you different than He uses me. But we got to use our hands. Let's be like David. Might not be, you say, preacher. I can't use the string. I can't use the sword. I can't use the scepter, but you can do something. Romans twelve, and there may be a message coming. Those grace gifts. There are seven grace gifts that are given in Romans twelve, and you only get those after salvation. There's what's called spiritual gifts. Now there are things, that, and every you understand. James tells us that every gift cometh down from the Father. Fo- every gift cometh down from God, and everybody that's got a gift or a talent, it's from the Lord. But there's seven spiritual gifts that you don't have until you get saved. But once you get saved, that's why it's called a spiritual gift. We're void of spiritual power prior to getting saved. So you can't have a spiritual gift until you get born again. But once you do, God's got a gift and that's our job. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that is in thee by the laying on of thy hands. I don't know what God wants to use you in I don't know necessarily maybe what God wants to use me in But sometimes we have to wait And we have to wait on the Lord It may be a trying time It may be a testing time It might be a training time We need to be faithful like David David never got on the sidelines never, David never straddled a fence during his adolescent years He stayed the course He stayed on the wall. Like they did in Nehemiah's day. Because there's a cause. And there is a cause for you and I to stay on the wall. There's sinners still doomed and on their way to a devil's hell. And listen, God ain't going to use the elephant. He ain't going to use the monkey. He ain't going to use the zebra or the white-tailed deer or the groundhog or the rabbit to win them. He's going to use you and I that are saved by the grace of God as our light shines. And as it shines with integrity of heart, let us use the skillfulness of our hands, as David did, while we wait on the Lord. As we stand all over the house, let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege, opportunity, Lord, to break the bread of life. God, one more time. Lord, you sure do know I need help in this department. Lord, help us to wait upon you. Lord, your will to unfold. But God, in the meantime, help us to have that integrity. Oh, Lord, help us to be complete, full to the point of overflowing with moral uprightness. God, help us to do that. Lord, help us to use and be faithful with the skillfulness of our hands. All of us are different in this building. Those that make up the church here at Faith Community Baptist Church. God, I thank you for everyone from the smallest to the greatest, to the youngest, to the eldest. God, we're all here. And God, you still want to use us all. God, help us to get in there and dig for your honor and your glory. And God, we'll be careful to give you thanks, to give you praise for what you do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Even Heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a few moments, this Hello friends, this is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hittings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service and every second Sunday night of each month we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays We meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation, they prepare for retirement, they seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday, for the Bible says in Hebrews chapter nine and verse twenty-seven, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans three twenty three said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, and good works, and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 in verse number 12, they said, neither is there salvation in any other, well, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house.